Hello and welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork, alongside D. Louie here, as we look back at a heartbreaking loss by the K-State Wildcats, the Iowa State Cyclones, 42-38. Iowa State uh, has a late rally in the fourth quarter where they come back uh, from 17 points down with just over 12 minutes to go to stop the Wildcats' uh, short-lived two-game winning streak and ending any bull hopes for the Wildcats uh, this December and on into January. So the season ends in disappointing fashion. And I want to bring in uh, my co-host, a guy who really needs no introduction, D. Louie here. He was there. He saw it with his own two eyes. How was it up there? How did are, 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 you've, You haven't been quite the same since you came back, I didn't think. Well, and you mentioned the two-game win streak, and that's something that, I mean, that was quite a ride. Uh, that was K-State no, no stormed back after an early disappointing season and really had everybody believing in this uh, 2018 edition of, of the Wildcats. And obviously the Kansas game, the Texas Tech game, nobody's going to forget those moments. Uh, and we were riding high up 38-21 into the fourth quarter in Ames, looking to extend the 10-game win streak, make it 11 games over uh, the Cyclones. And I got to tell you, when we were up 38-21, I was, I was insufferable up in Jack Trice. I was, mm-hmm. I was a menace. I, I also happened to be the uh, good for a Wildcat first down guy oh, yeah. uh, during the yeah, course of the game, absolutely. which is a big responsibility and one. It's a huge responsibility. Uh, I, think I, I, I can't think of anyone that I'd rather have be the good for the Wildcat first down guy other than yourself. No, I have to say uh, I was fantastic at it. There were several times during the point of the game where I said, wait, I did, did we get a first down? My friends would say, yeah, Drew, we, we got a first down, all right. And so I, I belted out. And then when we went up 38-21, you saw some Cyclones fans uh, must have forgot something in their cars, if you know what I mean. I know because, what you're saying. Because they were leaving, and I was shouting goodbye to them and asking them why they were leaving. And people from sections away uh, were shouting at me back. Oh, were they? Iowa State fans just giving me all sorts of all sorts of hell. But um, you know, once Iowa State started coming back and uh, putting their offense together and stopping us on defense, you could tell that you started to understand how Iowa State fans felt several times over the last ten years, where it's you could just see the writing on the wall. You knew where it was going, and uh, Iowa State comes out on top. K-State needed one score in the fourth quarter or one stop in the fourth quarter, and they got neither. Yeah, they they scored early on in the quarter to go up 17, but after that... That's what I mean. Once yeah, we were up nothing, 17, it's like... Nothing after that. Uh, I'm looking here at the... Um, I'm looking here at the drive chart, and we go three plays and fumble, return for a touchdown to cut the uh, the deficit to only three points. We go three and out the next drive, punt the ball to Iowa State. They promptly go down, uh, score on six plays, take a four-point lead. And uh, although K-State did get a nice little drive there uh, as time was winding down, uh, that drive stalls um, just into Iowa State territory, and uh, Iowa State's able to run out the clock and uh, and come away with the win. So disappointed into a season because 
really, through the first three quarters, K-State was in complete control of this game and really completely outplayed Iowa State up until the the final 10 minutes of the game. Yeah, I mean, Iowa State puts together 21 unanswered uh, with roughly 11 minutes left to go in the game, mm-hmm. and that's... That's a recipe for disaster if, if you're up if you're up late and so uh, devastating devastating loss for K State uh, especially because of the circumstances you know K State misses out on a bowl game likely uh, Bill Snyder's last game which we'll get into here shortly but uh, you you look at the offensive side of the ball Skylar Thompson threw pretty well uh, only 183 yards but that's about where this passing offense maxes out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, no interceptions, three touchdowns for him. Probably threw some really nice balls. Yeah, uh, that fade pass in the corner yeah, was the beauty. Deep, the deep corner uh, to uh, believe that was Isaiah Zuber on that one. Uh, he caught two on the day, and then a nice pass in the middle of the end zone to uh, Shabazzin Taylor, who we hadn't seen in quite some time. Yeah, so, hello. Yeah, hello. Uh, that was a Barnes runs for a hundred. He runs for a. 184 yards on 28 carries and a score. So you look at this, you look at this game from the offensive side, trying to figure out what exactly went wrong for K-State. And offensively, you had the costly turnover, but otherwise, I thought they played uh, one of their more complete games of the season. Um, You know, just looking at it from the end of the game perspective, it almost reminds you of the Baylor game in terms of, the offense puts yeah. together a great game, and then the defense kind of doesn't hold up there into the bargain. Um, so, the lynch mob. Where were you at, guys? Yeah, and the thing is, too, about Iowa State is they still had 17 points to cover here as we're in the final 12 minutes of the game, and they have scoring drives of two minutes. Uh, of course, the fumble uh, return for a touchdown, which takes up really no time off the clock you know, for them. And then they had their next touchdown drive to go ahead that took a whole two minutes and 11 seconds off. So really in a matter of about six minutes of action, they took the lead. Yeah, that's uh, that's just an offense for K-State that's not sustaining drives, and it's a defense for K-State that's Certainly not uh, being effective and holding up their end. Um, so the perfect storm in the last 12 minutes or so for K-State to just totally come out and lay an egg. Um, it's a, a sad day for K-State football, uh, losing the uh, 10-game winning streak over Iowa State, especially under the circumstances of um, K-State trying to become bowl eligible and uh, what is likely going to be uh, Coach Snyder's last game. Yeah, before we get into looking forward here at the future of Coach Snyder and, and what we're hearing and what we're speculating on, I um, wanted to just highlight a couple guys in the defense that I thought played real well. I uh, thought uh, Walter Neal Jr. played real well. Uh, he led the Wildcats with nine tackles. And then uh, Kavion McGee, who had uh, two interceptions, thought played a really nice, uh, played a really nice uh, cornerback uh, last Saturday. And, you know, he had been a guy that had been banged up with injury uh, since the early part of the year. And it was nice to see him go out there and make a contribution uh, on Saturday. K-State needed all of that, but came up uh, just a bit short to the Iowa State Cyclones. 
with the score of 42 to 38. Uh, as we kind of wrap up the Iowa State game here, uh, D. Louie, let's uh, let's look forward here into uh, into our crystal balls here, as we see what the future holds for Bill Snyder, what the future future holds for K State, uh, in terms of who their next head coach will be. Well, I don't think it takes a crystal ball to know that um, that Bill Snyder has coached his last game at K State. Uh, the news broke this afternoon on Wednesday afternoon. Um, if you were paying attention, a sterling uh, K State media source, probably the most established K State media source there is, GoEma.com, reported this afternoon that uh, Bill Snyder is expected to announce uh, the K State's expected to announce that Bill Snyder will no longer be K State's head football coach moving forward. Uh, that announcement is expected to come um, this week. And also, uh, according to GoEmo.com, the expected replacement for Bill Snyder is expected to be head coach at North Texas, Seth Luttrell, uh, expected to be K-State's next head football coach. Again, that is from GoEmo.com, from uh, the blog poster Pete, uh, who has a very reputable history of reporting news for uh, K-State sports. And so you can take that to the bank as far as I'm concerned. Well, and yeah, I, I saw that news um, kind of came out today, and it's something that definitely caught my eye. Uh, something that, you know, as you had said, uh, when Pete says it, I, I believe in it, and it matches up with a lot of the other speculation that, you know, we have heard all across, but uh, Go Emma's going out there and reporting it, and, you know, we're with him on that. So when you look at Seth Luttrell, what do you see? Well, first and foremost, I see a, one of the Big 12's best fullbacks uh, in the history of the conference. Yeah. Uh, of course, he played on national, the, a national championship. That's right. That. He played on the 2000 National Championship OU team um, and, in fact, scored a touchdown against K-State in the regular season contest that uh, K-State, or I'm sorry, that Oklahoma won that day. Yeah, who could forget that? Oh, nobody. You know, they say that's the loudest Bill Snyder Family Stadium ever got, my man. And I I can attest to it. It, yeah. hasn't been, it hasn't been that loud since. It was so loud. It was so loud that day. I could still hear the reverb. Yeah. They, you know, in that, my ears. Some say in the guts of veneer, you could still hear the roar from that pump block. And Terrence Newman... Running it in. Hello. Hello. Hello ball game. Hello Newman. Hello Newman. Hello uh, ball game. Um, and I remember thinking that when I watched him score that, when I watched Latrell score that touchdown that day, I turned to my dad, and I was 11 years old at the time, okay? Okay. And I tell my dad, this fullback is the best football IQ I've ever seen. <laughs> so this guy is a genius when it comes to offensive philosophy. And I said, watch, just watch dad. Someday... He's going to replace Bill Snyder. The legend. He's going to replace the Hall of Famer. He's going to, I said, when Bill Snyder comes back and retires again, yeah, they're going to hire Seth Luttrell. And look at, look at it now. I was right. You were. That's Give pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pat you on the <laughs> back. Right I think that's a pretty impressive thought I had then. Man, if you would have been in Vegas, you could have taken that ticket to the counter. They would have given you what? Maybe like... 100 to 1 odds probably. Oh, I'd say even higher. 150? I think you might be looking at like 250. 
What do you think about that? I think that'd be a pretty sweet deal. I would have taken it. You'd be you'd be riding high. Yeah. Um, in term, but in terms of what aside from his football acumen when he was 21 years old, aside from his genius that was easily recognizable uh, 18 years ago, uh, he's had a pretty impressive career, especially considering how young he is. He's been around the block at a few places. Um, played uh, had his first job at, at Kansas under uh, Mark Mangino's. Uh, Direction. He was a GA uh, at Kansas from 02 to 04. Then, of course, went to Tech to coach the running backs under Mike Leach. So already you're seeing kind of his influences. Mark Mangino, mm-hmm. Mike Leach. Then he goes and uh, coaches the running backs and tight ends under Mike Stoops at Arizona. Eventually becomes co-offensive coordinator there. Um, and obviously the Mike Stoops era at Arizona didn't end on a super high note, but uh, then goes to Indiana, coaches under Kevin Wilson, puts together some good offenses at Indiana. Um, he was there from 12 to 13, coached two seasons there, and then moved to North Carolina to coach under Larry Fedora, who obviously Larry Fedora just got fired from North Carolina. But while, uh, while Latrell was there, North Carolina was putting together some very fine offenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, North Texas takes a reeling North Texas program that yeah. had been under the direction of Dan McCarney, speaking of Iowa State. Sure. Um, Former Iowa State coach, kind of during their some of their better years in recent history. Well, 2 Yeah, 2 when they uh, got as high, I believe, as top 15. Yeah, maybe even stuck in the top 10. I, I can't quite recall at the time. Seneca Wallace's Heisman year. Well, Heisman campaign year. That came, that ended in Manhattan, Kansas, when Bobby Walker. Yeah, Bobby was, Walker said, "Not so fast." Not not today, my friend. And then he said, "Not today again." Just shortly, shortly after. after. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Um, and then he's put together a string of nine win seasons at North Texas, and his, the rebuilding job he's done there has been just extremely impressive. Now it's not exactly a murderer's row of a conference, sure. murderer's row of a schedule, but they did go to Arkansas this year. Beat a Arkansas team that wasn't very good, but winless. beat the pants off them. Yeah, w- Arkansas winless in uh, conference play. Yeah, but that's but still, yeah, still. I mean, it's every like, time you go on the road and beat an SEC team as a punching above a, their weight. Oh, absolutely, a conference USA team on the road at uh, an SEC team, impressive nonetheless. So, bottom line is, he's a guy who knows the area. He's coached. Um, in Texas the last couple of years. He's recruited in Texas. He's been around the block. He's been under some really, really? impressive offensive yeah. minds. And Absolutely. he's had some success as a coordinator. He's had some success as a head coach. And he's 40 years old. Um, so I think there's a lot to like about Seth Luttrell. Um, there's going to be question marks with any head coach, any candidate, unless you're one of the five or ten programs in the country who can, can get pluck whoever you want, just yeah. about anybody. But sure. I think for K-State, for a program like K-State, Seth Luttrell's, it's a hell of a gamble. I mean, I think it's a smart bet. Well, and that's the thing, too, is you look at uh, just K-State's opponent last week, Iowa State. Uh, they go uh, to the MAC, uh, get uh, Matt Campbell uh, from Toledo, and he's got that program in a really good spot right now, uh, where not only are they – a team that up until they had lost on the road uh, at Texas, 
really was right there uh, for a conference championship appearance this year. And not only have they had some success on the field at Iowa State, which is, is easy to see, had a nice end of the season last year and had, uh, after a kind of a rocky start this year with some tough games, started playing some pretty good football down the stretch, uh, trying to uh, finish out the season ranked. And when you look at what not only he's done on the field, but he's done out on the recruiting trail and the type of talent that he has brought in, it's pretty darn impressive what he's been able to do at Iowa State in you know the last three years. Yeah, and there's and speaking of Matt Campbell, there's always the fear when you hire some up young up and comer who's has a really impressive resume for his age, and you're not one of the ten or fifteen destination jobs that a lot of people say, well we don't we don't want to hire somebody that's gonna leave in three or four years. Yeah. But do you think Iowa State regrets hiring Matt Campbell? Certainly not. Even though no certainly not. Even though Ohio State might pluck him out if pluck him out if Urban's cyst continues to grow. Yeah, if Urban Meyer's uh cyst continues to plague him and hey guys, we just wanna can, can I take a moment here, Chris, Please. and just say our thoughts our prayers are with uh, are in Columbus um, with Urban and his family while he uh, deals with this sure. uh, medical condition. But moving away from that, uh, no, of course Iowa State doesn't regret hiring Matt Campbell because you know why? They have a good coach. They do. They have a, a coach, coach that's desirable. Sure. Who's got a bright future ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bad thing. Yeah. And, and, and maybe Ohio State gets him. Maybe... In two years, Lincoln Riley goes to coach Dallas Cowboys, the Cowboys, or the or, Browns, or whatever. Yeah, whoever. And and maybe maybe that, that that all might happen, but maybe not. And also, if it does, if if a bigger program or if a uh, you know the National Football League comes calling for whoever your coach is, um, of course, Matt Campbell has even been linked to a couple NFL uh, positions. That means he's done a good job. That means that he's means, done a that good means, job. That means he's left your place in better shape than he found it. And, you know, that's the thing, too. It's it's never fun having to do – I mean, K-State's been spoiled uh, with Coach Snyder having been here for, uh, you know, 10 years now uh, upon his return almost. Uh, this will, I mean, this would have been his 10th season – or this is his 10th season uh, since coming back to K-State. And when you look at it – you think that, oh, how many coaches are really even around at the same university for 10 years? Not many. Not many. Very either, few. Either they get fired or they take a lateral move. Oh, look at Jimbo Fisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, or they, you know, sometimes they get, they move up. But bottom line is you can't, a, you, a coach potentially outgrowing you isn't a reason to not hire him. Sure. Bill Snyder, when he was hired, he it wasn't like K-State was his was expected to be his destination job. Sure. In 1989, if you say, in four years, K-State's going to go to a bowl game under Bill Snyder, you're going to say, well... He's gone. Yeah, yeah he'll, he'll be gone. He'll go on to you know, bigger and better things. And he had opportunities. Sure. And he turned them down. Yeah, and so if at that time, you're thinking, well, K-State... Bill Snyder's going to outgrow this. He's going to become bigger than 1989 version of K-State. That's not a reason not to take that step. 
Sure. So, in any event, uh, if it's not clear by now, I, let me make it clear. I think it's a good hire. And uh, I, I, maybe I would have preferred Brent Venables, but that's about it. I don't think that there was another candidate that was raised uh, that would have really done as much for me as, as Latrell has. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, like you said, there's an inherent gamble anytime that you hire a head coach unless you can really pluck you know, someone that's been a sure thing like, a, like Alabama hiring Nick Saban or uh, Ohio State hiring Urban Meyer or even um, Nebraska hiring Scott Frost. Obviously, that hasn't worked out well. Uh, necessarily this year for Nebraska, but uh, the future is bright uh, for the Cornhuskers and Lincoln. So I mean, even look at UCLA. Yeah. They hired uh, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, and that's it's not going as well as I expected it to immediately. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a bit of a process to you know inst- institute his system and get the kind of talent that he needs to really be able to imp- to run that system and and the type of quarterback play that you need and the type of team speed that you need. But and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But that's you roll the dice with these guys. Sure. And so, um, I don't know. I think I like it. You like it? Well, well, this is something we'll continue to keep our eye on and. Uh, as, as maybe the ink dries on this by the next time we, we reach out, we might have an uh, emergency uh, podcast to get this uh, information out to you uh, as soon as uh, something does become official uh, regarding this. Well, as far as I'm concerned, as far as if, I'm Pete, con- if Pete of GoEMA.com says it, sure, that's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. Well, uh, that'll give us a short time for a break here. Uh, we'll be back after a little bit here as we look back a little bit more in depth on this season for the Wildcats, a disappointing 5-7 and seven campaign. Uh, but we'll look at it in a little bit more detail after this short break. And I'm proud to be an Okie from Muskogee. All right, we are back here on the Short Side Option Podcast where we take a look back at uh, a disappointing season for K-State. Um, obviously not the season that we had uh, been hoping for, but a 5-7 and seven season. Uh, K-State finishes 7th in the Big 12 uh, due to the tiebreakers finishing ahead of Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, and Kansas. Oklahoma State gets to go to a bowl even though they finished uh, with the same conference record but, of course, uh, went undefeated in their non-conference slates. But, like I said, uh, a season that no K-State fan can really uh, be all that excited for as we, as we look ahead. But as we look back now, Let's look at, I'm going to ask you a couple different questions here. Okay. D. Louie, we've got, I'm going to ask for your high point of the season. High point of the season, uh, probably Oklahoma State. I thought that was uh, a nice little dose of optimism at a time when K-State really needed it. Uh, coming off three straight losses, really didn't know where to look for answers after the Baylor game. Um, because our offense had struggled so much. Uh, and then our defense comes out against Baylor, struggles. And then against Oklahoma State, both units kind of put it together, especially in the second half of that game. And you thought, okay, maybe, I mean, Barnes runs for 200-plus that game. And you're starting to think, okay, now our offense has an identity. We're just going to hand it off to Barnes the rest of the season. And our defense can maybe put it together. And they did after that Oklahoma State game. And so you're, you're thinking, after that game, 
okay, maybe we got something here. Maybe we're going to turn it around like K-State has done the last few years and finish the season really strong after coming out um, and really just stinking it up in the first half of the season. So that's a, that was a highlight for me. What about you? Well, for me, I'm going to go probably maybe a little bit more of the conventional route here. Uh, I'm going to go with the 21-17 win over the in-state rival Kansas Jayhawks. Um, a game that, uh, you know, of course, any K-State fan wants to win anytime you get a chance to beat uh, the in-state rival Jayhawks. But not only did they beat KU, uh, they beat them in come-from-behind fashion, needing um, a fourth-quarter touchdown to do so uh, on, a, on a nice run there by Alex Delton. Five and seven is not a good season. There, there's no, there's no, no doubt about that. Mm-mm. But a four and eight season with a loss to KU is really bad. Would have been tough to stomach. That would have been really tough to stomach because then you would have had to hear uh, whether it's at the office on on Monday. Oh, uh, uh, those that, classic water cooler yeah, conversations. Exactly right. Just man, those squawks just Jim from accounting just ribbing you, you know about. Uh, about oh even KU could beat K State this year you know stuff like yeah, that yeah I just I hate that guy yeah yeah and uh, so and then they then they can say oh we'll get you again in basketball and uh, just, uh, Jim but that hey they should sleep on the scorpion this year yeah don't sleep on the scorpion Jim so uh, you gotta be glad we did could just avoid that yeah and you should have heard me just at the water cooler the, the Monday after that game oh we're, we're I was saying oh looks like the flaw in the call, another year of of kissing K State's butt in football, huh, boys? <laughs> well, right, you right, you should have right seen Jim's face. It, he was just <laughs> devastated. He walked. Well, he, he thought he had you too. I walked a little he tall. Th- yeah, he thought he thought I had, he had me. But sorry, maybe next year, Jim. Well, I've already had KU fans come up and say that next year's uh, game against K State. Is going to be their biggest day in their adult life. Oh, really? Uh huh. <laughs> are these people married? <laughs> Do they have kids? Yeah, yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's I couldn't believe. They it. need to fix their priorities. <laughs> they want to beat us so bad in football, and they can almost feel it next year. There were tears just welling in their eyes. Uh-huh. We're yeah. going to beat you guys. That's exactly what it was like. Man. <laughs> it was. It was. It was. I had to. I was taking a little bit of back by it. Disgusting. But you know when when you're the big kid on the block in the state, yeah, you know, that's what kind of treatment you get. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so beating KU, obviously the the best part of, of this five and seven campaign for K State. Uh, I did want to kind of harken back to something here uh, from the uh, from the Texas game. Yeah. So Texas beats us nineteen to fourteen, of course. But K State really plays pretty well in the second half. Scores 14 points, which nothing to write home about there. But they shut out Texas, have a chance to win that game, but fall a little bit short. And then after that, I thought the big the big change that I noticed from first half to second half is we were able to run the ball with a little bit more consistency, and it had to do a lot with uh, the defense really um, – or not with the defense, with the offensive line really just kind of get it together – and say, hey, we're not taking this. We've been playing like crap all season up to this point, and we're 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 turning a new page here. So the next game against Baylor, K State runs for three hundred nineteen yards. Another good day for 
on the ground. Huge day on the ground. Alex Barnes, 250 yards. Okay, so you're thinking, okay, well, lost to Baylor. However, this offense seems to be kind of picking it up here against, admittedly, a bad defense with Baylor. Mm -hmm. Okay, next game. Oklahoma State. K-State runs runs wild again here in this game. uh, Running for, if my computer will cooperate here, with a total of almost 300 yards on the ground, 291 yards rushing. They go on the road uh, the next week to Oklahoma. Don't have any success. Well, that, that one is a game that K-State thoroughly got dominated in, but did a decent job of running the ball throughout the rest of the season, uh, most notably last week or, uh, against Iowa State, uh, r- ripping off uh, 337, or no, excuse me, 245 yards on the ground. So, Thought that the offensive line, still not a great season for him. Uh, I'd say below expectations from where we thought this unit would be at at the start of the season. However, after the first three games, and even into uh, the early part of conference play, you were looking at this offensive line saying, okay guys, what, what's the deal here? This was supposed to be a strength, and it was almost like a weakness of the, of the offense. And... Then you look at what they kind of did in the second half of the season, and you say, okay, this was a little bit better. So still an inconsistent, uh, an inconsistent performance by the offensive line this season, but they had some moments this year, at least when it came to running the football. Yeah, they, there were flashes uh, that K-State, you know, maybe this is a good running attack, like we all expected it to be, but certainly not consistent enough to put together any kind of season to remember. Certainly not consistent enough to live up to their preseason top 20 ranking. Doesn't that seem mm-hmm. like a long time ago sure. now? Um, and we knew the passing game was going to be a struggle based on the lack of wide receiver depth, and it was. Um, and the running game just wasn't enough to make up for it consistently. And so we wonder why we lose games 13-14. to 14. Yeah, there were some special teams miscues in that one. But the state consistency yeah. all across the side of uh, – of the offense, uh, th- and that maintained throughout the year. So, and the defense. I and mean, the defense as well, too. I mean, the no one's really showed up. At, yeah, at the Lynch Mob showed up at times. They put together a string of three or four good performances. And Especially then, at home, it seemed like, this year. Yeah, maybe there's something to that. And, you know, granted, I think the competition at home this year was... Certainly. Certainly contributed to that, but... But some good offensive teams came into Manhattan this yeah, year. Yeah, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State, Texas Tech. Tech. Yep. So it's not like we were playing... Uh, KU puts up 40 on OU. Yeah. And, you know, they were pretty well bottled up for most of the day. Had a couple big plays that that uh, allowed them to get on the scoreboard. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I and think... And then a couple of really obvious holding calls. That, that Yeah, that brought back long plays but that were correctly called by the officials, yep. and you want to give them a, a credit on that one. They, they did an excellent job with that. So, um, I guess we, we hit on some high points, I guess, uh, of some of the good moments of the season. Let's talk, unfortunately, there, there are more uh, rough spots of the year. What was, uh, what was the low point for you this year? Oof. It's hard to pick just one, um, but I think even though OU is a good team this year and is really in a favorable position to get to the college football playoffs. That's exactly right. That game was one of the... Worst performances I've seen. It's it's not like OU is coming out and blowing out teams every week because their defense is not good. Um, 
and that was a game that was just start to finish. Coming off that Oklahoma State win, okay, we might have, have an identity have, here. Even having a bye week to prepare. Exactly. And then to come out and just get the doors blown off you, uh, that was very disappointing. Um, you know, it's easy to look at other games. In hindsight, Mississippi State has no business going on the road at a Power 5 team that and winning and running away. Yeah, that 31-10 to 10 score... Is, that didn't age well. Yeah, well, and it. I think it also. I mean, Mississippi State's a fine team, um, finishing the year, you know, in the top twenty. But that thirty-one to ten score is not indicative of the disparity between the two teams. I don't think because they just ran rough shot over K State the entire day. Uh, Kylan Hill. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many yards he ran for, but I believe he ran had over two hundred yards. Um, all-purpose, uh, both touchdown or both um, receiving and rushing, and just I mean they could have. I felt like they could have ran for six hundred yards if they really wanted to. Honest. Well, they just about they just about did that day because it was it was a lousy performance um, on both sides of the ball. K State completely outclassed from start to finish, and that and that's what I'm going to say is my low point of the season. Mississippi State. And it's not I, – I agree with you. I think my since you took OU, I'm going to take Mississippi State, where it became increasing – that is the first time I had seen K-State probably since – oh, man, golly. I'm going to say 2010 Nebraska, where we were just – oh, my God. I mean, we, we don't have the talent to even compete with these guys. Like, it looked like boys against men out there. And instead of um, Taylor Martinez running uh, up and down uh, the up and down the field on K State, it was it was Kylan Hill and Nick Fitzgerald getting eight to ten yards without anyone breathing on him, uh, and then you know shrugging off tackle tackles and gaining an extra you know five or ten yards then even. So I thought that was as much outclassed as K-State has looked in terms of an overall talent perspective in darn near a decade. And that's honestly served as a as a pretty good um, precursor to what the rest of the season was going to bring at times. Yeah, and if it wasn't that game, it was the South Dakota game. Because at yep, the time... you could even look at that one too. At the time, like, it was like, okay, this is probably nothing. We've got the win, now let's go out. First game jitters, whatever. It's easy to chalk that up to a Inexperienced time. coordinators, you know, holding the playbook back, saving them yeah, all for next You don't want to show too much. Yeah, so, you know, we all thought that that was more of a blip on the radar than an iceberg that we're barreling towards. Um, but it was more the iceberg uh, than a blip on the radar. I think you could say that. Well, and Mississippi State was wearing the all-whites that day, too, so they kind of looked like an iceberg. <laughs> looked yeah. like a bunch of icebergs they, out there. Well, there's been so much talk about, you know, how the ship's condition has been in this year. Calm uh, the waters, man. <laughs> not a lot, of, uh, a lot of nautical references <laughs> so far in this podcast. And, and, well, you're going to get those with the team in the middle of Kansas. Yeah, you will. It's, it's natural. I think Tuttle Creek just seems to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's true. It it just does. It just does. So that uh, that kind of does it for some of our high and low points. I want to switch this more to individual. Uh, that we kind of looked at some overall, whether it was games or or overall units. 
Was there a certain player uh, that caught your eye this year that you think has a bright future uh, with the Wildcats? <sighs> well, it's hard to say. Um, because you don't really know uh, who's a, gonna... a ringing endorsement there. <laughs> yeah, if I've ever heard one there from. Well, Lee. there's a couple of things at play here. You don't know who's gonna be sticking around. Sure, there's um, been lots of talk of transfers and going elsewhere. There's not a whole lot of. Uh, there's not a whole lot of young cats out there that you have a ton of faith in to have bright careers. I mean. The the easy answer is Blake Lynch. <laughs> that's a young that's guy. Your, that's, that's your guy. That's that your you guy, think's man. gonna be steady for K State in the yep. coming years. I yep. mean, good good solid kicker is always nice to have. You look at a guy like Justin Hughes. That granted he was a junior this year, but you think he might be primed to have a big season next year. Yeah, I thought he played excellent during the during the second half of the season. I know I've said that it seems like almost weekly on the podcast, but I think if he would have been starting. Uh, this season, uh, I think from the start of the season on, you know, I think that K State fans would have have a lot of uh, uh, ha- even have a more favorable opinion of Justin Hughes. But I, I certainly thought he played really well the second half of the se- second half of the season. Yeah, and then you have somebody like White Huber out there that was doing some good things, and so there are young good young pieces this year that can give K State some hope moving forward. Um, and you know, you're looking at the defensive side of the ball. One guy that I thought looked pretty darn good, and I thought, you know, I think Isaiah Zuber is our best wide receiver. Mm-hmm. There's so much talk about, you know, his standing is he going to return next year. Of course, obviously, there's been comments that have been made in post-game press conferences by Coach Snyder, uh, and there's you've seen a reduced role at times for Isaiah Zuber. Don't know if he'll be back next year or not. It'd be speculating uh, to say one way or the other. But what I would say is Malik Knowles, I think, has really stepped up and and, um, is a guy that, quite frankly, during the second half of the season, or I wouldn't say maybe second half of the season, but the final third of the season, I guess, if you really want to say it, is a guy that I thought was K-State's best wide receiver out there. And he looks the part. Uh, kind of taller, rangier target out there on on the uh, at the wide receiver position, but I think when you ha- look at Knowles, Zuber, if he's able to return, shown as your top three wide receivers, not a great unit by any stretch. Probably still one of the worst units in the. In the Big Twelve. Well, don't forget about Hunter Risen next year. Hunter Rise, but when you that's and that's what I was getting to. When you add in guys like Hunter Risen and, and add in a little bit more talent there, you squint your eyes. You start to say, "This you, looks you, like a wide you, receiver." If you court. squint hard enough, you can say that this has some promise. And so I, I'm anxious to see what uh, Hunter Risen, Malik Knowles are able to add to this wide receiver core uh, as we go on uh, into next year. Malik, or uh, yeah, Malik Knowles will. Uh, have his redshirt. His redshirt. That's so right. He will be a redshirt freshman next year. So I look at those guys as as hope for the offense. Um, running backs gonna be a question mark with with Barnes' uh, status kind of uncertain. Got some uh, favorable news about Daniel Carter this afternoon. That running back out of the uh, out of St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. Uh, that not he's not your not in Overland Park, but not the state champions. 
um, in, of Kansas in 5A, but rather uh, the Florida version of St. Thomas Aquinas, the Raiders, as they are down there. Oh. Um, but expected to uh, have some good news about him this weekend. And so that would help get some. He's a yeah. heralded you young get? running back. But as they say, running backs are, for the most part, a dime a dozen. A dime a dozen. That's exactly right. And so we'll see moving forward. But no, there were some there were there were some good pieces this year. Um, it just it took a little bit of searching. They, not completely off the top of my head where. You can look and say, "Oh yeah, there's plenty of hope on this roster moving forward." Because you have to look a little harder than you you do in other years. But some some good pieces, and absolutely right about Malik Knowles. I think he'll be a he has a very bright future ahead of him. Um, question is, who's going to be throwing him the ball in the future? Whether or not Skylar Thompson's back, whether or not Alex Delton's back, um, John Holcomb, you know, might be the guy. Chris Heron. Chris Heron. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, I will say that K State does have some. You can and the one thing too, should there be a coaching change like we're we're all expecting? You can pitch you can pitch playing time. Yeah. Because you you know, if a new coach is coming in, they might the guys that are on the roster may not fit what they're wanting to do schematically. And you can go into a, a fresh or into a high school kid's house and say, Hey Hello, I'm Seth Luttrell. <laughs> That's exactly what you'd say first. You'd, you'd as, want, as, as, as coaches do, whatever they... You'd, you'd want to introduce yourself and let them know who you are. I'm Wildcats head coach Seth Luttrell. That sounds... I've been working on my... It's, it's almost like kind of a page out of that AT&T uh, commercial with featuring Bob Stoops. <laughs> yeah, that is voice acted by Bob Stoops, absolutely. Hello. But uh, <laughs> you want to uh, you want to be able to pitch playing time and, and uh, K-State... Uh, could very well have plenty of that available uh, as we look into uh, the 2019 season. Yeah, so on the recruiting front, that's a positive thing to have a bunch of playing time available. But um, from a results perspective moving forward, it's not the most ideal situation to say that, hey, our roster is empty going forward. Yeah, and that's what I think most K-State's fans' frustration is, is because the fans that follow recruiting, the fans that... Freaks. Yeah, that go out there and they they follow recruiting and... Or if you, I mean, it doesn't even take someone that really follows recruiting. I think the casual fan that just goes to games on Saturday or watches them on TV can easily look at the TV and say, "We are significantly less talented than we were three, four years ago." Because we have guys like Duke or uh, like um, Elijah Lee, um, Elijah Lee, and gosh, I'm blanking on. Come on, come on, less forty. I'm having a Heartfelt here. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but cornerback. Uh, God, why am I not able to remember his name? Duke Shelley? No, not Duke Shelley. Last year. DJ Reed. Oh. Good God. I could. I, they both played for the 49ers. I could have told you that. But DJ Reed, Elijah Lee, both uh, on NFL teams with uh, the 49ers. Uh, Byron Pringle, of course, on the Chiefs practice squad. There's been some talent. Uh, you know, obviously Jordan Willis got drafted uh, by the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, there's the draft streak. There's the draft streak, and this year it looks like uh, Dalton Reiser will be the one that uh, prolongs that. K-State's uh, the one carrying the torch this year for the Wildcats. Next year could be a bit of an issue. Oh, no. We'll, we got we'll, we'll, we'll figure. We'll worry about Oh, Scott Franz. Yeah, that's 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 mm-hmm. obviously a possibility. I know we talked about that. Uh, I believe listener Brady had that question back a few 
uh, weeks ago. But that's going to do it here for the wrap-up uh, here of the 2018 season for K-State. We'll be back after a short little break here to do the final football installment of a Wildcat legend and wrapping up the season, uh, the football season anyway. Of course, this will continue on in basketball, but with answering your questions with Ask the Icon. Come back after this. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option, where we are getting now into a segment we call this week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon, this week's Wildcat Legend is a former Gridiron star for the Wildcats. Oh, okay. He's a defensive end. Sure. He's uh, number 92. His name, of course, is Tiarius George. Ah, Tiarius George. He's a legendary player. Absolutely. George played at Kansas State University in in Snyder's first version of his last couple years. Uh, In 2005, as a senior... uh, Tiarius George played in 11 games and got 27 tackles. Six of those were tackles for a loss, or as uh, we in the biz call, TFLs. That's right. That's a nice little bit of acumen there that you dropped <laughs> yeah. there. That's, that's some serious knowledge. That's high, that's high level. That's right. Um, and he also had four sacks, forced a fumble, and recovered another fumble. Uh, the year before, as a junior, uh, he played in 10 games, had five starts, uh, made 21 tackles, 11 of those were solo stops, 6 TFLs, again, tackles for a loss, mm-hmm. and 3 sacks. Uh, K-State got him, plucked him out of L.A., uh, Los Angeles Valley College, where he earned all-conference honors as a freshman uh, in the JUCO ranks. Uh, from what I can tell by my research, he's from Arkansas, played uh, high school ball at Pine Forest High School. So, um, got him out of the southeast a little bit. And by all accounts, uh, many people are saying that he <laughs> did have a very impressive career at K-State. Yeah, I, I remember uh, when we signed uh, Tierce George that this guy is going to be the next you know, great Wildcat defensive end, and he lived the next, up to that. The next, great, the next Kevin Huntley, Yeah, people exactly. were saying. Many people were saying this. And uh, he, he delivered in, in, in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And... Uh, I, I look back, though, at his career, and he just wreaked havoc on opposing teams' uh, quarterbacks and was a, was a staple in the opponent's backfield. Yeah, and one of his signature moves was getting really frustrating penalties at inopportune times. That was uh, one of his, uh, his more notable abilities. Um, I remember a game in 2005, listening to on the radio, uh, K-State on the road uh, in Memorial Stadium against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, K-State's going to get the ball back uh, with a chance to, to take the lead. It's like third and 25, mm-hmm. short, short gain by the Huskers to, to force them to punt. But a little laundry gets dropped on the field, and uh, Tiaris George either has a personal foul roughing the passer penalty, as I believe it was, which prolongs uh, the Husker drive and allows them – uh, to salt away the game, essentially, uh, as Casey gets the ball back with not enough time really to do much. I think Justin McKinney may have also had a couple really frustrating penalties in that game, or was that after him? That would have been after him, Okay, I, I think. Justin McKinney, I, I equate him more with the Prince here, so I don't, I don't think that he would have been there for that one. 
Skinny McKinney. Yeah, Justin McKinney. He might maybe he might. Get yeah, keep your eye on him uh, as a as a future Wildcat legend. But you know, with Darius George, when you have somebody with as high a motor as he had, that played with as much passion yeah, as gonna, he had, you gonna, take the good with the bad. Exactly. And you know, I will say that you know while there are some memories that uh, Wildcat fans and, and Tierras would would like to have back, uh, he is no doubt a Wildcat legend. It's absolutely right. That there's no other way you could describe him, and no other way you could describe the word uh, other than uh, other than Tyrius George. They're completely synonymous with one another. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to get into our final segment on the show, um, a segment uh, we call "Ask the Icon." Of course, listeners can submit their questions to ask uh, Short Side Options' very own icon, Chris Sork, to get his views on certain things, his opinions on K-State football. Listeners can submit their questions by submitting them to at T-S-S-O underscore podcast on Twitter or using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or if you have one of our uh, phone numbers, go ahead and text us because because that's also a way yeah. that people can submit questions. We're, we won't discriminate. It doesn't about matter. It. Yeah, it doesn't matter to us. Just, if you find us walking out on the street, <laughs> shake us by the shoulders. Say, hey, Icon, I got a question for you. You could even be more aggressive. Say, hey, talk to me. <laughs> yeah, really get in our face. Maybe just roughhouse us a little bit. Not too hard. Not, Not too hard. Not enough to get our attention. Yeah. And say, I've got a question for the icon. Exactly. That's all you have to do. It's just, it's just that simple. Folks. Darn it. Okay. Um, our first question comes from listener Justin Brownlee. At Brownlee Justin on Twitter. Uh, he asks as follows Icon, if you're the new head coach running a new offense, how do you sell Alex Barnes on returning? How many wins is he worth next year? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it seems like Alex Barnes, it seems like about every year at the end of the season, there's speculation about whether he's going to be back next year. He was even after 2016, there was. Uh, you know, he didn't play in the bowl game uh, due to an injury, and there was kind of some bickering back and forth, I think, with, with how that was handled. So I don't know if it's very likely that he's back, to be, to be quite frank. Um, I think what I would say, if I was a new coach trying to, um, trying to keep him on the squad, I'd say, hey, Alex, we really need you. Hey, Alex, this is head coach Seth Luttrell. <laughs> you, your impressions even got better just in the last couple moments. Yeah. Um, but I would say, hey, I, would not, I don't necessarily want to run you 35 times a game, 30 times a game. I'm going to run you plenty. You're going to get the ball plenty because you're the focal point of our offense. However, I want to utilize you in a couple different ways. Um, I, look at what, um, I look at what Jalen Hurd Former running back at Tennessee, transferred to Baylor, became a wide receiver. I'm not saying we're transferring Alex Barnes into uh, a wide receiver by any stretch. But I'm saying we're going to give you opportunities to prepare you a little bit better for the next level. And that's, if, if you watch the NFL, a lot of these running backs are one of their best, what makes these running backs in the league, like whether it's Todd Gurley, um, Zeke Elliott, Alvin Kamara, these guys are great catching the ball in the backfield and can do some damage. That's one part of Alex's, Alex Barnes' games that we haven't seen a whole lot. He had a nice catch down the sideline this year earlier, but 
I'd say, you know what, we're going to get you involved in the passing game. We're going to make you a more attractive player for teams at the next level. And for us, how many wins is he worth? That's always tough to project. Uh, but, I mean, think about it this year. If we don't have him, how many games do we win? Oof. Can, Two? Can, we, don't win, we don't probably win the KU game. Does, can Dalvin Warmack? And that's the other thing, too. I think Justin Silman would probably be the running back most capable to, to shoulder that load. Uh, from just the physical beating standpoint that a running back takes when they run the ball 30 times a game. But it's a uh, it's a physical position. I would think it's going to be tough to get uh, Alex Barnes convinced to come back next year. Okay, our next le- uh, question comes from listener Joey Kenny at jkenny1987 on Twitter. He asks, If Jimbo Fisher's nephew decided to fight a K-State legend on the sidelines after a big win, which legend does he least want to tangle with? Wow. I have my answer. After, uh, after, after, you, after the icon. Okay, well, uh, this is an interesting question. So I'm thinking back to all the former Wildcat legends that we've mentioned and the ones that we even haven't got to yet. Um, so I'm going to just focus back on ones uh, that, that we have mentioned so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I hope I'm not taking yours, but I'm going to go with Grant Gregory. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Did, did I take, did I take 100% yours? 100% you took mine, mm. you, uh, but that's fine. You, you go. Because you know why? Because Grant Gregory, that guy is a guy you want in the foxhole with you. That guy, driven, tough, he's not going down without a fight. You give me Grant Gregory all day. Plus he's got ink. He's got ink. You know he's you know he can and, and if you, if high you, pain threshold. If you see what he uh, what he's been up to, he's he looks like he can still play. So he uh, he's been taking good care of himself. That's exactly right. That guy is cut like a diamond. Um, all right, getting into our next question from listener Steve Z at SL Keck. Steve Z had a trio of questions, but in the interest of time, we're going to get to one of them. How's that? And I think his best question, the one that's going to provide uh, our listeners with the most insight. Icon, who's your second favorite purple team in any sport? Second favorite team in any... Second favorite purple team in any sport. That's right. There are a um, handful to choose from. There are a handful to choose or a handful to choose from. I'm going to go ahead and say the Minnesota Vikings. Hmm. Because I hate the Green Bay Packers. Don't really have any fondness for the Chicago Bears or the Detroit Lions. And I do like Kirk Cousins. Do you like Stephon Diggs? Vikings it is. Vikings it is. The uh, purple people eaters. That's right. That's right. Um, our next question comes from listener Bring Vinzi Home at E underscore S for KSU. Icon, who is the best backup quarterback for KSU who never saw significant time as a starter? What a question. That's a great question. This is one of my favorite Ask the Icon questions we've ever had. Hmm. Dig deep into your bag of trips, tricks here. Okay, I have my I have my answer. All right, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. This is deep. It's <laughs> Billy <go>. Kosh. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You know he broke records in high school um, in in the state of Maryland. Mike Fister had the all time passing record in Maryland. Not anymore. That, that that goes to Billy Kosh. So, and the reason why I say Billy Kosh is because I liked uh, what I saw out of his tape coming out as a uh, as a recruit. Um, believe he got to K State 2010, 
And there was a time where I was saying, hey, let's see what he can do. Out he there. Fairly, I mean, he did great in high school. Yeah, and he was he wasn't a much, he was, a, I believe, a three-star recruit coming out. And uh, but that was a guy that I had my eye on, and uh, he ended up transferring, um, I think, to a couple different schools. But got on the field a little bit at Houston, and I looked up his stats um, a little bit earlier in the day, and he uh, had a pretty illustrious career there. So um, I think a legend. Yeah, I th- I think uh, his line was like something like five for nine for thirty eight yards. So career. Yeah, career. So. You know, no doubt, uh, a guy that you know played at the highest level, and I believe he is uh, is doing well in the coaching business now, taking after his father. Uh, I have a name for you. Okay. How about Kevin Lapina? That's right, the uh, De La Salle High School. That's right, uh, quarterback. He's a winner. He is. He he did nothing but win. Did he ever? Do you recall if he ever lost in his high school career? He, I don't. As far as I know, he never lost in his high school career. He never lost in his college career, and he never lost as an NFL quarterback. As far as as far as I can tell, wow, um, remarkable. Yeah, so great question. Bring Vinzi home. Uh, that that's that's good stuff from you. Good job. Um, let's see. Our next question comes from listener Brett Henning at Brett W Henning on Twitter. He says, "Dear Icon, and thanks for using the formal address. Um, from now on, people ought to be addressing this like these questions like business letters." Like uh, Mr. Henning did. It's, good. it's a good job by him there. Dear Icon, could you please describe these head coaches in three words? Are you ready? We're going to take these one at a time. Okay. Urban Meyer. Three, three, three words. words. Yeah. Wow. Three words. I don't know if I can get just in three words. I'm going to go a little bit over if that's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. Um, need some help. How about Al My Sist? Al My Sist. That also works. Uh, Jim Harbaugh. He's the head coach at Michigan. Need some speed. Bill Snyder. Thank you, coach. How about can his ass? <laughs> oh, Drew, come on now. Come on. Come on. Uh, Andy Reid. Playoff choke artist. Hmm. Uh, Jason Garrett. Should be fired. All right. That, that, was a tough, that was a tough exercise. Just three words. Keep you on your toes. It does. It does. These listeners always do that for me, though. Uh, question from Nick Ward at N. Leland W. Hey, Icon, will you please review your preseason prediction? You know what? We don't have to... We don't have to get yeah, to that. That's fine. That's fine. I, I've been. I've been on. I, I'm not above reproach here, and um, I've been, you know, chided a little bit. I think would be the correct term by by listeners. Of of course, I was on record giving uh, K State a ten and two record. They fell short of that just barely, and but I will say, I will say, I did have one feather in my cap. I can stick there. Is all, the all Big Twelve team came out today, and Duke Shelley. Uh, found his way on the second team. And if you remember back uh, early in the season, I said Duke Shelley would have an all-Big 12-type season. 
didn't say necessarily first team, but I said he would find his way on one of the one of the first two teams. And you were spot on with that. And I was spot on with that. And you know what? I will say this too. Had he not gotten injured, you might be looking at a first team performer. That's yeah, that's a very impressive preseason prediction. Um, absolutely brilliant foresight. Great job. Um, getting into our next question here from listener Jesse Kirkwood at Jesse Kirkwood on Twitter. He has uh, he asks the following: What WWE superstar's career slash character arc would you compare Bill Snyder's career to? What a what a what a question. Well, I don't even know if the icons qualified to answer this question. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna phone a friend here. Who are you gonna call? I'm gonna call the guy sitting right to my to my right here to D. Louie. Oh me? That's yeah, you. All right. Because I I can see you just chomping at the bit of this one. Yeah, I, I I'd be lying if I said that I hadn't thought about this since I received this notification. Um, let me pause it. We're getting, uh, taking a break from the Ask the Icon segment. We're getting into a new segment on the show called Ask DLU. That's right. Uh, listeners can submit questions to DLU uh, once, one question every football season. Uh, you can submit those questions to at TSSO underscore podcast, and I'll answer it. Um, so getting right into it. Uh, what WWE superstar's career character arc would I compare Bill Snyder's career to? How about this one? How about the immortal one? How about Hulkamania himself? How about Hulk Hogan? Okay? He comes up mid-80s into this, you know, territorial federation at the time run by Vince Sr.'s son, little Vince Kennedy McMahon, Mm -hmm. right? He's a star. All of a sudden, he's a no-name really, but then he becomes a star, just like Bill. Okay? So we get into 92, 93... Hulk is starting to build a name for himself, get some famous and some good feuds. Uh, and then, fast forward a couple years, 1998. We're at the top of the game. We are. It, this is WrestleMania three, baby. This is Hulk Andre, the power Icon- slam. An iconic match. An iconic match. And then, I mean, that's the high point. That's, that's where it all goes. And then what happens? He stays on a little too long. He, his feuds with the Warrior, not great. Some fanfare, but not great. Starts going downhill a little bit. And then by WrestleMania 9, he's out there, you know, stealing Bret Hart's title, title against Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's a farce. People mm-hmm. didn't want to see Hulk Hogan anymore. The steroid trials had already happened. He's gotten a lot smaller, so he's not as impressive anymore. Mm-hmm. This is 2004, 2005. Boo, get out of here, Hulk. Mm-hmm. Boo, get out of here, Bill. Go on. Shoot. We're but, tired of you. Okay. No, no, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm just foreshadowing what's coming next. Yeah, but then what happens? He reinvents himself. Takes some time off, reinvents himself. Goes off to Hollywood, films some movies. Mr. Mom, Bill, takes some time. Kind of gets into family himself. Comes back. He's Hollywood Hulk Hogan, man. He's, he's got the best feud, one of the best feuds in wrestling history. I'm not going to say it was Austin McMahon. It wasn't. And forgive me for getting into WCW. I know we're talking about WWE superstars. Yeah, yeah let's try to stay on topic. But, but still, you got Sting Hogan. You got Starcade. So that's 2012 as far as I'm concerned. And then 
after that, he does some other stuff in WCW, but nothing ever is ever going to live up to that Starcade feud with Sting. So the Starcade feud is the is the height. That's 2012. Yeah, that's 2012. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 2012 K State football, right there. Okay. Exactly. And so, uh, and then of course in the twilight of his career, some takes leak. Some tapes leak out. You got the Gawker stuff going on. Bill goes five and seven this year. It's a sad. It's a sad end to a really impressive career that that spanned decades. That was iconic. Hulk will always be professional wrestling. Bill Snyder will always be K State football. But on the way out the door, it gets a little bit ugly. So that would that that wow. would be my comparison. I think in the fourteen episodes of the Short Side Option podcast, that is the best. Three or four minutes of content we've produced. Well, we're going to trend here in the, after basketball season. We're going to take this pie. We're going to pivot and take it in another direction <laughs> and take a deep dive into like early mid 80s WWE and well, WWF at the time. But we're going to get really into Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you know, Hercules, uh, Big John Stud, all these guys. And we're going to just take the listeners on a ride. And we, and we can't wait for it. Can't wait for it. And this will conclude uh, this season's edition of Ask D. Lou. And we will now resume uh, our segment of Ask the Icon. Oh, we got some more. Yeah, we got a, we got a couple more. Oh, I was ready to, to almost put it up. No, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no. I thought that was just the... And that was just a, oh, that was okay. just a okay. little treat for the, okay. for well, the, the I, listener. I'm sure they were treated to that. Um, all right, our, uh, our next question. Mr. Kirkwood had a follow-up to that question. Uh, does Darren Sproles have a Hall of Fame-worthy NFL career? You know, that's a really difficult question because unlike baseball, where you get 3,000 hits, that, that's your ticket to the Hall of Fame. Darren Sproles, I believe, is fifth in NFL all-purpose yards. Makes a pretty darn strong case when only four players – in the NFL, in the history of the NFL, have gotten more all-purpose yards than you. So I'm gonna go ahead and say, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, all-purpose yards, all-purpose yards. I mean, you look at a guy who's as versatile as it gets. You know, a guy really, when you think about it, sure, he had the the middle screen, of course, against OU in 2003. Everyone remembers that play, but he really and his biggest worth in the NFL, aside from his kick and punt returning abilities, which you saw a little bit of at K-State, um, was his receiving ability out of the backfield. And that's yeah. something that wasn't all that well utilized at K-State. So, uh, but no doubt, uh, you know, of course, uh, the best running back in K-State history. Uh, but I think he also is deserving of a, of a gold jacket in the NFL Hall of Fame in Canton. Uh, I skipped a question earlier that I want to get back to. Uh, listener Steve Z at SLK had another good question. Uh, who's your favorite athlete of all time? He has a follow-up depending on your answer. Okay. I'm ready. The follow-up is, if it's not a K-State uh, player, who's your favorite K-State player of all time? Oh, okay. So, my favorite athlete of all time is not a K-Stater. It is Derek Jeter of the New York Yankees. Uh, but my Respect. Fav- Respect, but uh, my number two, or well, I guess not my number two, but 
Uh, my favorite K-State uh, athlete of all time. Wow. Uh, that's a really tough question. I'm going Michael Bishop. A kid I grew up with, of course. You grew uh, up with him? Yeah, I grew up with him. <laughs> Tossed the pillow around a little yeah, bit. All right. uh, but, you know, grew up watching him play, of course, uh, you know, at the height of K-State football, really, um, back in, in, in the in the late 90s. Guy who, you know, had an L. Roberson jersey. I One of my most prized possessions uh, back home in Scott City is a little uh, photo board thing that has uh, some – pictures of Michael Bishop, it's kind of like a little collage, and in one of those boxes in that collage, it's a little, little frame collage, essentially, and uh, there's a Michael Bishop autograph, and the funny story behind that is, is it came on, uh, on my sister had a class with Michael Bishop, said, hey Mike, can I get your autograph uh, for my brother, he's a huge fan of yours, and he's like, yeah, sure, and so my sister Asked for the autograph, didn't think she might get it, I guess. Didn't have anything to sign it on. Like, so she ripped off part of, of an assignment and just had him sign that. Wow. So it's on the back of a homework assignment. What a sister. What a sister. Big, sh- big ups to Rebecca there. Yeah, very kind. Our final question comes from listener Big Dog in Madison. Uh, BDIM asks... Is it a coincidence that the winter storm that wreaked havoc in the Midwest this weekend was named Bruce? <laughs> Certainly not. I mean, Bruce laying waste to opponents out on the hardwood. He's laying waste to the Midwest through ice and snow. There's no coincidence there. Yeah. You know, winter storm might be a nice nickname for Bruce if the scorpion doesn't quite catch. Oh, I think it's catching. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and BDIM had a, another one, too. Um, she asks... What sort of atmosphere should K-State fans attending the basketball game against Marquette expect this weekend? Is there an atmosphere or fan experience that you'd compare Marquette to? I know you're intimately familiar with Marquette home basketball game. I am, actually. So this game will be in their uh, in the new arena in Milwaukee, uh, the Fiserv Arena, or Fiserv Forum, as it's called. And you're going to expect a little bit more of a sterile atmosphere uh, with it being an NBA arena, uh, you know, seat 16,000 so folks. Uh, it's not going to be full. Is that their home arena? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I, that, I guess I thought they had their own nope. gym. Nope. Uh, that is where they play all their home games. And so I will say you're not going to see, like, a traditional, like, you know, it's not going to be an Allen Fieldhouse. It's not going to be a, um, you know, real raucous crowd. I would say it's going to be a little bit more maybe like, a, uh, a game at the Irwin Center in Austin, a big arena, um, not all the way full probably, uh, but should be a good game. I'll be in Milwaukee mm. um, observing that game, covering that game for the Short Side Option podcast. I will be the man on the ground for that one. So uh, please stay tuned for updates uh, regarding that and a firsthand viewer's uh, perspective of what that atmosphere will be like this Saturday. All right, and well, that wraps up our uh, Ask the Icon questions. Icon, do you have any parting thoughts? No, no real parting thoughts. Uh, it'll be an interesting few days here as uh, we, we wait for some finality here uh, on what the coaching situation is at K-State. But uh, as we've said, we fully expect uh, 
Snyder to uh, retire and uh, Seth Luttrell to, to take over in, in relatively short order. So that will do it for this edition of the Short Side Option podcast. Join us next week as we look more into basketball season as we uh, pivot here and hopefully have something also to talk about with the new football coach. Uh, thanks for listening. Go Cats.